0: and welcome to Saga Shorts, where we're presenting the shorter stories, or Thadr, of medieval Iceland. I'm John, And I'm Andy. This
1: is a companion series for Saga Theme. So if you're wondering why this is in your podcast feed, well, wonder no more.
0: Yeah, if you're wondering why we're in your podcast feed at all, we can't help you with that. I'm hoping that they they know why we're here. (laughs) But uh, this time around, we are
1: reading the Thadr of Thorstein Bullleg, which actually intersects nicely with uh, the last couple sagas we've been reading. Yeah. And uh, since we've got a bit of time while we are waiting for the results of the second saga thing quarter court, we thought it would be a useful way to spend some time together. Right. So in other words, this is just one more way for us to procrastinate. Right. No, wait. No, not right. (laughs) No. This is our chance to offer up a little light discussion of Icelandic theater. And it's a genre that I think usually gets overlooked
0: in favor of the sagas. We should pay attention. Oh, you, you mean like we've been doing for the last four years or so? Yes, exactly. Yes. But we're making up for that. Right. So we explained the uh, short story or thought or genre in the first episode of this Saga short series, which came out a couple of months ago.
1: Yeah. And I think we also talked about it way back in the first episode of the podcast,
0: too. Yeah. Episode 1C. Off the top of your head. Always. You, you always know them. <laughs> hey, look, I'm not good looking and I'm past my athletic peak. A good memory <laughs> is essentially my only selling point right now. All right. So, uh, I don't think we need to go into the details of
1: what a Thauter is all over again. No. Uh, But uh, we'll give you a brief overview. Uh, Mm -hmm. They are texts that are written around the same time as the sagas, sometimes in the same manuscripts, in fact. Uh, But for reasons of length and subject matter, they're classified as a separate storytelling tradition.
0: That's very succinct. Thank you. But you've already created a problem. Mm, What kind of problem? Well, the short story we're reading for today is actually longer than a few of the sagas. <laughs> right, that, yeah. Well, yeah. let's get that out of the way, shall we? Okay, so as we established, we measure thought here in desikels, or tenths of a Hravenkel saga. Well, Thorstein Bullleg weighs in at 7.22 desikels. In other words, nearly three quarters of a full Hravenkel. Which is more than some of the sagas we covered. That's longer than Thorstein the White, and it's longer than the Greenlander saga, yeah. And there's a couple more sagas still to come that are also shorter than this one. So the first problem we have to solve is, why isn't this a saga? Or maybe why are the other ones considered sagas, even though they're so short?
1: True enough. Well, uh, without rehashing the entire discussion of Fatir from last time, let's just go to John Lindau's definition, uh, that they're considered short, independent narratives,
0: right? Okay. Uh, but we should acknowledge that part of the problem is that these classifications are notoriously tricky. So, sure, as I was going to say before you interrupted me.
1: Oh. You didn't really interrupt me, to be fair. I kind of me. paused. I gave it a lengthy pause. You gave it a pause. A
0: pregnant oh. pause.
1: But uh, th- the birth is about to happen. There you go.
0: I felt Lind- obligated to say something to fill up the time before the delivery. <laughs>
1: there you go. Lindau uh, <laughs> goes on to say that Fatir very greatly and one cannot speak of a single genre. Well, which I, I think maybe- is fair.
0: I think this gets at why I usually prefer to talk about traditions in literature rather than genres. That's because you like to evade the question, right? No, smart guy. Because once people start talking <laughs> about genres, they can't seem to help creating formal rule sets for what's included or excluded from the genre. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think that's a very helpful first step in encountering a text.
1: Well, there, there's something to that. And as we said last time, a lot of the work that has been done on the theater
0: has been dedicated to the question of the genre and the rules. Right. And – I do think that can be valuable. I don't want to come down too strongly here. Uh, Goodney Johnson and Joseph Harris have done the most important work in establishing which texts qualify as Thatter. But Harris is pretty straightforward about the problems of creating hard and fast rules for what's a short story and what's a full saga and what doesn't belong in either category. Which is why we end up with Goodney producing
1: a list of 42 Thatter, while Harris think there's more like something like 75 to
0: 100. Right. And there's just as much disagreement about the thematic content of a mm-hmm. Uh Many of them appear in the manuscripts as digressive material in or alongside King's sagas, but others are just shorter comic tales covering an episode in an Icelander's career. That's right, and that is a key point. Mm-hmm. For the most part, sagas are about
1: one or more lifetimes worth of adventure and conflict. That's a saga. A Thaunter is really more of an episode, stands mm-hmm. on its own, and it usually doesn't set the story in a
0: deeply described social world the way that saga narratives typically do. Well, but of course, now that you've said that, we have to say that Thorstein Bulllegs Thaunter is an unusual example of the genre. You could definitely say that. We could. Yeah, I did. If- Well, thank you.
1: Well, you know, one of the things that I I did in preparing for this was I, you know, looked up some articles about Mm -hmm. uh, Thorstein's Thotter, and there's not a lot, but um, there's a good one by Elizabeth Ashmore Rowe that investigates exactly the problem we're talking about. Where does it fit? What kind of Thotter is it? Is it Mm -hmm. a Thotter? And she starts responding to, or she's responding to, the the sub-genre that Joseph Harris recommends, which is the conversion or pagan contact subgenre. So, she investigates it, looks very closely, kind of does a close reading of it. And uh, she concludes that because the overall structure is basically biographical in nature, mm-hmm. that it doesn't fit as well. And you could read the whole article um, if you want. It's in the Scandinavian Studies 2004 volume. Um, here, here's her, her ultimate conclusion that is, is quite interesting. She says, in, in terms of literary history, Thorstein's Thatter can be considered a secondary development of the conversion Thatter, in that it expands what is essentially a conversion pagan contact narrative to encompass the entire life of the protagonist. So because it has such a broad scope, looking at the settlement of Iceland all the way through Thorstein's life, um, it doesn't quite fit in the, the independent standalone genre that we're talking about with conversions.
0: Now, I think we could say all of that, or we could just say that it's totally bonkers. I think you could definitely say that. It's bonkers um, and fun. Well, I mean, it involves subterranean undead color wars, a gold (laughs) coin that bestows the power of speech, casual incest, and magical troll vomit. Um, Then why don't we uncork this magical troll vomit? All right. I'm ready when you are. I'm just going to say in advance that uh, I apologize if my voice sounds a little creaky and a little more Barry White than usual, but I'm uh, dealing with the beginning of school year colds that my kids bring home from uh, kindergarten and preschool. And uh, I'm doing my best. I think it makes it sound very sexy. If you could get a cold more often, I think we'd all be happier. Oh, uh, yeah. Part one, a bouncing baby bull leg. So this is a story about a man named Thorstein. But there's something very, very wrong with his leg. Um, there's nothing wrong with his leg, John. Have you ever seen a man with a bull's leg? It bends all wrong.
1: It's the, the, gross. The, the nickname it's, doesn't refer to his leg at all. Although I was expecting I know, it to, but I it know. doesn't. Yeah, we'll get to that later. It's it's a little, I'm going to say right now, if you want to know why he's called Thorstein <laughs> Bullleg, you have to wait to the end. Right. Skip to the end. It's kind of frustrating. <laughs> yes. Um,
0: for now, the beginning isn't even a story about Thorstein at all. Not yet it isn't. Uh, This Thouter begins with the story of a regional settlement, multiple land sales and trades, the founding of the all thing, the rituals for discharging legal duties at assemblies, and the law against sailing into port with a dragon head prow visible on your ship. Oh, is that all? No, actually. Uh, (laughs) There's also the historical division of Iceland into four quarters, each of which holds several regional things, and the requisite number of assemblies and temples required in each district and quarter. And this is all the first part of the story. This is all on the
1: first page of the story. So, so, I mean, this is what we're talking about when we said that different theater have very different subjects and structure. I'm not yes. sure what this author was doing when he sat down to write this one. He had yeah. a lot of different ideas of what he wanted to cover, and you'll see how crazy it gets. Um, yeah. Some of the Thatyr simply start with a, a short introduction to the protagonist. Mm-hmm. It starts with the protagonist. This one, on the other hand, seems to be trying to offer a precise history of Iceland... In like three hundred words or less, and it's fascinating. It's fair to say this is an enthusiastic author. It re- I'm reading a lot of student essays right now, and this to me <laughs> reads like a student who's determined to prove that she did her research for a five page paper. Like, yeah, it does, doesn't it? I spent uh, all night in the books, and I'm going to exactly, cram it all. I'm going to
0: prove it. <laughs> but there's
1: definitely a lot of interesting material here. Yeah, absolutely. For starters, we get an account of a set of high
0: seat pillars coming to shore. Yeah, a uh, thord beard lives in Iceland for a decade. But when he learns that his pillars have washed ashore near Larivog, he sells his land to another settler and moves. Yes, and we talked about this practice way back
1: in episode 3 in Mm Erbitge's saga. The practice of throwing your household seat pillars overboard and then settling wherever they came ashore, it seems to have been part religious practice and part
0: folk ritual. Right, like a superstition or, or a good luck thing. Mm-hmm. The pillars would wash ashore in an auspicious place to start a farm. Something like that. Almost as if the, the gods guided it to the place that you're supposed to go to. Right. Now, I've mentioned before that I'm a little suspicious about that. It seems like the kind of thing that a savvy ship's captain would be able to manipulate. Reading the tides and knowing where to throw the pillars seems like it'd be easy to do. Maybe, but it doesn't
1: seem to have worked that way for Thord. Uh, He lost his pillars in the ocean for something
0: like 10 years. (laughs) Okay, in fairness, I said a savvy ship's captain could take advantage of this. Thord might be below the curve. (laughs) His name's Thord Beard, not Thord the really good at reading cross tides. That's right. Uh, And this chapter also has a fairly involved
1: description of another ritual that was briefly mentioned in the saga, the consecrating of an altar ring. Right, yeah. Uh, To the degree that this Thouter is well known, this is the reason why. That's right. Um, It it establishes uh, all kinds of cool things that historians want to know Mm -hmm. about uh, early Iceland and and pagan rituals in general. And it does that by kind of sharing the settlement of Ulfjalt and the laws that Mm -hmm. he established after coming back from uh, Norway. I know we talked about the ring in a recent episode, but the information about how uh, uh, the altar ring works comes from this thouter. So what it does is describes how to prepare and use the ring during the assembly. Mm -hmm. And we're going to let the author explain because it's quite vivid description. A ring weighing two ounces or more was to be kept on the altar of each chief temple. Every gothi was obligated to have this ring on his arm at all of the public meetings he was to preside over. And to redden the ring in the blood of a bull, he had sacrificed himself. Could get expensive in bulls. Um, I, I don't really know how to count that for our animal body count. Uh, mm. Am I supposed to add a dead bull every time there's an assembly in a saga because there's going to be a sacrifice? No,
0: I mean, not unless you're planning on counting every fish or sheep eating at dinner
1: each night. Oh, that would be great for the animal body count. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, there's so many people in the saga. We're going to have to count every meal that they might uh-huh. have had. Do you think they had fish that day? How many fish? Was it a soup of small fish? Or was it a big fish? They, avo- they avoided the chicken. <laughs> All right. The story then includes some details about oath swearing, uh, but I think we're going to save those for an eventual saga brief on pagan practice in Iceland, which... Uh, Optimist. One of these days, you know, who knows? Uh-huh. Anyway, the author then mentions a few prominent families who settle around the area before finally coming to the point. The story properly begins with Thorkel Gædysson and his sister, Oldni daughter
0: who lived together at Krolsevik. This is the same Thorkel Gadeson who appeared in the later chapters of Vapnafjord's saga. That's a nice way of it. And who played a supporting role in Droplagersona's saga. Uh, the Droplagerson's, Grimm and Helgi, were Thorkel's cousins. And which of us took him as a thingman? Well, that's a good question. The answer is neither of us. I know why. Yeah, well, we both passed on him in Vopnfjord. when I took his rival, Bjarni Helgeson and you took the minor supporting figure of Thorvald the healer. And in Droplagrosona Saga, we split the Right. I'll I just add that uh, Thorvald the Healer might be a minor
1: supporting figure, but a very important one. Uh, this is no time for politicking. But, you know, since we've read that, all those sagas, I, I feel like uh, mm-hmm. other saga authors would say that we made a mistake. According uh-huh. to this author, in fact, Thorkel is
0: a most outstanding man, strong and accounted very valiant. Ah. Well... I'm pretty happy with my choice of Bjarni, but maybe this is time for you to admit your regret in picking Thorvald the healer. Not a chance. Not you know, right for a my guys <laughs> get hung over all
1: the time, and we need <laughs> Thorvald around just for the, That's You right. know how he treats us. That's right. Um, moving on. We actually learn a bit more about Thorkell's life in this Thouter. He's unmarried at this point, and he's living with his sister Odni and a servant named Freystein the Fair. Okay. My socks have yet to be knocked off by this information. Mm. Well... Odni and Thorkel are devoted to one another. Mm-hmm. And Audney hasn't really come up in the other stories, but she's an interesting figure. And uh, in this chapter,
0: we learn that she's uh, she's mute. Yeah, yeah, this is really interesting. Uh, not because of the condition, although that's of interest by itself, but because of the workaround brother and sister have developed. Mm-hmm. Audney is an accomplished rune carver, and she keeps a supply of sticks around the house to carve notes to Thorkel Yes, and that is just the sort of thing that came up in our interview with Ronhild Jostland. The use yeah. of rune sticks for prosaic purposes. Yeah, not the specific purpose, maybe, but this sort of casual daily use. Yeah. Uh, if anyone missed that episode, by the way, it's Saga Brief 8. I think we published it back in April. Yes, and Alden is a really intriguing
1: example of how disability is treated in Icelandic literature. I really like this. Yeah, you're just
0: setting me up now. Um, well, you know, you've kind of it, brought me in and I, I, I see these <laughs> things now. Uh, Well, for one example, uh, Audney and her brother have talks in which she carves runes, presumably quite quickly, for her half of the conversation. But the text is written as dialogue, with the author treating her rune carving as a form of speech. Mm -hmm. It's a remarkable portrayal of the accommodation of difference in the routines of life. I just want to say, I I, I
1: love the the portrayal of Audney in this this saga. Mm -hmm. It's really deftly done. Um, But anyway, there's a a handful of people introduced, uh, but most of them are just window dressing. The important figure is an outsider named Ivar Erlingerson, known mm-hmm. as
0: Ivar the Radiant because of his good looks. Oh, no, no, no. He's not just good-looking. According to the author, he's the best-looking man of all those who grew up in Hordaland. Well, how many people are in Hordaland, really? Well.
1: <laughs> it would be useful information if we had an idea whether Hordaland is known for its good-looking people or whether it's famous for its ugly residents. I
0: mean, we have nothing to... Well, I think the, the point here is that he's handsome. Oh. And he knows it. Ivar hasn't married because he thinks no woman is good enough for him. What a charming guy. Well, I mean, he's also a successful trader with his own ship. And he's known as a generous man with his money. So he's not all bad. So when he arrives in Iceland ahead of the winter, Thorkel invites Ivar to stay with him. I,
1: I think we're seeing here why neither of us chose Thorkel as thingman. He sucks really? up to rich Norwegians. And that that's just not how a self-respecting Icelander
0: should behave. <laughs> Oh, that's not entirely fair. I mean, this is pretty standard practice. Hosting a Norwegian merchant, especially an open-handed one, is a great way to score discounts on the merchandise. Well, especially if they're open-handed and not stingy with meat. Fair enough. Ooh.
1: But in this case, Thorkel is being warned against allowing Ivar into the house. Aldney's mm-hmm. written a warning to Thorkel that she has had a premonition that if she's around Ivar for the
0: winter, that it will cause a great amount of trouble. Right. Now, whether that's true remains to be seen, but... By spring, what is clear is that Audney is, as the author so delicately puts it, not just carrying herself. That's a brilliant phrase. Mm. And when Thorkel asks her who the father is, she writes, Ivar has begotten the child I am carrying. It's a hard situation to unravel. It's clear that is unhappy with what's happened. She begins crying after carving that answer. Right, now the implication seems to be that Ivar seduced her and now intends to, imba- to abandon her. In fact, he's mounting his horse while Alden is telling Thorkel what happened. It's <laughs> like the uh, meeting I had with
1: my dean today. As we're talking, he stood up and put his backpack on. <laughs> I just kept talking to him. Didn't didn't throw a leg over his horse? No, no, he didn't. But he was definitely working his way toward the door. Um, uh-huh. But before he can ride off, Thorkel confronts him. <laughs> what provision, Ivar, will you make for the child you got
0: with my sister? Or will you do the right thing and marry her? And as we said, Ivar has no intention of marrying Odni. He even sneers that I'd have had a bad trip to Iceland if I had to marry your mute sister. Yeah. I, I don't like this guy very much. And I
1: almost start to, to well, wonder, did he did he sleep with her because she's mute and assume that it would be
0: okay? I don't. well, I think it's more that this is a guy who's used to, you know, getting his way with people with women especially. Uh, but isn't used to having to deal with any consequences from that. He's a tr- he's a trader and a ship's captain. Mm-hmm. He moves from port to port and he leaves women behind. Yeah. Uh, I don't, you know, you're not supposed to like this guy, I don't think. Uh, and just because we weren't sure that he's a terrible person, Ivar then claims that Odni got pregnant from sleeping with a servant that winter. Pfft, this guy's a cad. At least. Mm. And then Thorkel threatens Ivar. Uh, and before we give the impression that Thorkel's a hero here, though, we should be clear that he frames this entire thing as an insult to him rather than to his sister. See? I mean, this is why we didn't take him as Thingman. Yeah, and it gets worse for him. Uh, it turns out Ivar is quicker with a sword than he is, and he strikes at Thorkell, badly injuring Thorkell's leg. Thorkell's return swing chops a leg off Ivar's horse, but Ivar is able to leap free and runs off to rejoin his ship without injury. Poor horse. Thorkel tries to intercept him the next day at his ship, but Ivar's already aboard and has pulled up the gangplanks. And so he gets away. Well, for now, anyway. We're not done with Ivar the Radiant just yet. Yeah. It does stink of someone who's guilty, though, doesn't it? Oh, yes. <laughs> He's not exactly <laughs> being subtle. No.
1: So uh, that summer, Oldney gives birth to a very large baby boy. Yes. But uh, Thorkel is still in a rage over the whole thing, and he orders that the child must be exposed. He seems to be taking this very personally. I mean, Odni is his sister, but she's an adult. Mm-hmm. But he does have two reasons for doing this. One is that he regards himself as his sister's protector. Even though, from what I can tell, this story takes place before their father was killed by, I think, your thingman, Bjarni Brody. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, now, let's not bicker and argue about who killed
1: who. <laughs> nice.
0: Very good. <laughs>
1: yeah, the second reason is that Ivar has been Thorkel's guest and Ivar's repaid that hospitality by seducing Odney under false pretenses and attempting to skulk
0: off without even acknowledging what he's done. Right. And there's the legal context here as well. If this is legally understood as a broken contract, in other words, if he's promised to marry her, it's Thorkel's job to seek redress for that. Yes. And, and if it's understood as a sexual crime, well, there's all the more reason to demand retribution while Ivar's in Iceland. Absolutely. But now Ivar's escaped, and Thorkel's left wounded and fuming. And unfortunately, there's only one person left he can take his revenge on. Oh, you mean the baby? Yeah. How nice. Yeah. Thorkell doesn't want this kid around, does he? No, hang on. Now, we should explain that when Audney gives birth, it's to the biggest baby anyone can remember. We said big, but this is huge. This, by the way, is Thorstein Bullleg, although right now he's just called the baby. Yes, he's a healthy, robust kid. Seems to be very promising by his size, but Thorkell looks at him and says,
1: expose that little baby. Yeah, this again. We've seen this motif a lot. Yeah, we saw it with Thorkel Scratcher. Scratcher! Mm-hmm. And we also saw it with uh, Finbogey, or Cult. Yep, and uh, Helga the Fair as well. Yeah. Um, it's enough that we can start to make some assumptions that, you know, it's a, it's a motif that we've been playing with. Uh, for mm-hmm. one, the exposed child is often destined for
0: great things. Think Moses. Right, well, Sure. Uh, if he or she survives, right? Obviously, in these stories, the kids survive, since the motif is of humbled or tr- or troubled beginnings for an important figure in the saga.
1: Right. Now, think uh, uh, Thorkel Scratcher. Scratcher.
0: Uh, who's
1: rescued from exposure by his uncle and grows up to become a great chieftain. Or mm-hmm. Helga the
0: Fair from Goodlog's Serpentongue saga. Sure. But again, these exposures are narratively significant because the infants survive. Mm-hmm. Historically, to whatever degree exposure was practiced, we have to assume it had a much lower survival rate. <laughs> Definitely. Um, uh, since we're talking about this
1: one i I think he's one of the lucky ones since he survived well yeah I mean the fact that he's the guy the Fowter
0: is named after is also a <laughs> right so Thorkel wants a baby left in the woods that's where we're at right right but no one else wants this to happen even Thorkel's father Gator stops by to say that he's had a premonition that this boy is destined to be strong and capable if he lives nope Thorkel wants the boy exposed take him out uh Alden doesn't want to lose the
1: kid either sorry this brat it has got to go. Get him out. Well, Freystein, the
0: handsome servant, also argues against exposure. To no avail, of course. This lad must die. Okay, Thorkel's being a little unreasonable here. Uh, yeah.
1: I'm getting a little Herod vibe off of him. (laughs) Yes, and at this point, even the author chimes in, and he says that it was legal at that time for poor people to expose children if they chose, but it was thought to be a bad thing to do. Well, of course it is. But eventually he has his way. Baby Thorstein mm-hmm. is taken out into the woods and left in a nook of a tree with a bit of bacon in his mouth to keep him quiet. And yep. I, I know you, you have probably something to say here, but that bit of the bacon in the mouth, we saw some in an, I think it was Finn Bogisaga. Yeah. Or maybe it was Stokal yep. Scratcher, but they they yep. put meat in keep the keep mouth. Keeps him quiet. I really want to know why. Keeps him quiet. But
0: they they could choke on it. It's, it's about, it's a, they're. They're trying to kill the kid. You understand that? <laughs> I'll just put this bacon in his mouth. Choking, choking. hazards. When you're exposing well, a child, choking hazards aren't really the secret <laughs> Well, my wife pointed
1: out that babies kind of like, they push their tongue out a lot. And right. she, she suspected that the, uh,
0: the, that the bacon would fall out of his mouth. And indeed it does. Indeed it does. Mm-hmm. And so he begins crying. Yes. Like, um, yeah. Because there's a farmer named Crumb nearby. And two days after the baby is left out and exposed, he goes out to collect firewood. And he hears the baby crying. Crying? I guess that was the point of the bacon, right? To keep them quiet. Right.
1: But that was two days ago. Uh, At some point, the bacon goes bad. Also, it fell out of his mouth. Which is exactly what my wife predicted, right? Right. So, okay, continue. What happens next? Yeah. I have
0: to say that that bit of bacon thing, I mean, we've talked about what it might be for. But it's so troubling to me because it's a very specific detail. Yeah that feels like it's based on actual practice.
1: It, it does. And I, I kind of want to go into the folklore indexes and f- really? kind of see if I can find that. Because it's yeah. definitely something. Yeah. It's got to be. And if yeah. any folklorists are listening and have a sense, or Icelanders who are, you know, used to baby exposure, if you could right. explain the <laughs> the process to me, I'd love to Anybody hear. Anybody who at one point was found with bacon in their mouth. Yeah, right. right. Uh, but anyway, on to uh, better news.
0: The baby's been found. Sure. Crumb's not an idiot. He's heard the rumors about the exposed infant from Krasovik. And so he takes the baby back home to his wife, Thorguna. Now, Thorguna's is a formidable figure. Uh, as the author describes her, she's a wise
1: woman, but hardly popular. She was very knowledgeable about sorcery, not
0: beautiful, unconventional in character and harsh, but changeable in mood. In other words, she's exactly the kind of person to take charge of an abandoned child and risk her powerful neighbor's anger. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Oh, and the couple named the baby Thorstein. After Thor father. Right. She's actually from a great lineage name wise. Uh, her ancestors include Olaf Longneck and Bjorn Whales- Whaleside. Now it's killing you
1: that we're not doing na- nicknames, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's there's a really good nickname coming up and I just uh, want everyone to not- wait for it. You'll know it when you hear right. it. Right. So you're not the least bit curious about Bjorn Whaleside? Uh, I'm going to say no in the interest of time, but I, I'm going to secretly say <laughs> I am. Oh Fine. 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 If we're doing short on time, no Nickham explanations for you. All right. Well, I, I actually want to hear it, but, you know, if you can do it in two minutes or less, I'm going to say go.
0: I There's really nothing to say. It's just, He's just he's just whale-side because he's fat. It's It seems to be a sign of corpulence. It's not really very interesting. <laughs> nice build-up. Which is why I'm... Nice build-up, good payoff. Well, but that's why I was setting it up that we didn't talk about it. Uh-huh. Okay. Because it's not actually all that interesting.
1: All right. Now, Thorgunna and Krum take very good care of Thorstein, but uh, they're garbage at keeping him a secret.
0: Isn't that always the case? I think the inability to maintain a disguise is one of those features of a remarkable person in northern literature. Right, Robin Hood has the same problem. Yeah, and this goes a little beyond just being bad at fake mustaches.
1: Krum and Thorgunna routinely bring Thorstein over to Thorkel's house, and by mm-hmm. the time
0: he's seven, he's a regular visitor to the farm. Okay, so what that means to me is that they're not actually trying to hide him. Mm-hmm. And he's grown up to be as promising as uh, Fothorafi Gator predicted. Big, strong, and able to wrestle grown men. fotherafi The uh, grandfather? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gator's still alive. Uh, and when he sees Thorstein at Thorkel's farm, he bursts out laughing. <laughs> he recognizes him right away? He does. Uh, but that's not why he's laughing. He claims to see a spectral polar bear cub running with Thorstein and tripping him up. Now apparently, this is somehow evidence
1: that Thorstein is Odney's son that he could bowl over a uh uh yeah a
0: apparently so damned if I know why, but it's a dead giveaway for for uh, for Gator <laughs>
1: well, uh, the average boy wouldn't have tripped over the i guess sure. something. I don't know sure uh but for Gator, it's all very clear you're right Thorkel, however, isn't convinced, but he's at least suspicious enough to send for Krum Thorguna and Freystein. And when their stories match up, he accepts that Thorstein is his nephew and invites him to come and live at Kralsevig.
0: Oh, sorry about that exposure thing, lad. You know what a temper old Uncle Thorkel has. <laughs> Why don't you come home? I'll let you sleep inside the house this time. It's hard to tell,
1: but uh, <laughs> this seems like another story like Helga the Freystein mm-hmm. the Handsome uh, almost seems like he set up Krum and Thorgun to find and raise the child, doesn't
0: he? I don't know. The story is that Thorstein was in the open for two days before Chrome found it. That's a long time. If it was a setup, it was a pretty risky one. Yeah. Well, if a baby can't survive the
1: elements and the the local fauna for a couple days, is that baby really worth saving, John?
0: Wow. Wow. The paternal instinct in you. <laughs> uh, I want to know what Audney thinks of all this. I mean, the author mentions that she bursts into tears when she recognizes Thorstein as her son. Well, I mean, we can probably assume that she's happy about it. That he's alive. No. 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 Right? Yeah, I mean, tears of happiness are relief, definitely. I mean her thoughts or her feelings about her brother having tried and failed to kill her son. That's never mentioned. Probably going to be an awkward time at the
1: family Yule feast uh, this winter. <laughs> Probably.
0: Part 2. A Vision Quest for Thorstein Augerson. All right, so Thorstein
1: is back in his family's bosom. It's about mm-hmm. time for the adventurous part of this thing to begin isn't it? Nope, it's time for a nap. Well I mean you're not as young as you once
0: were and you explained that earlier A, a nap for Thorstein oh the baby thanks for, thanks for that by the way. Uh, a few years have passed. Thorstein is now 10 years old and goes out with Freystein the comely to help round up the crosatic sheep the comely <laughs> They're out all yes uh, they're out all day rounding up a large drove of sheep and decide to rest for the night near a mound in a valley. A flock of sheep, right? Wait, are you going to break out terms of venery on me? Uh, (laughs) Either one's right, but I don't get to use drove of sheep very often. I thought I'd indulge myself. I think there's a reason you don't get to use drove of sheep very often. (laughs) Part of it is because
1: you're a professor at a university. (laughs) I'm not a shepherd. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So they're going to sleep
0: while their stampede of sheep grazes. Hang on. Uh, Thorstein's going to sleep. But he asks pretty boy Freystein to stay awake all night and guard him. No matter how I behave in my sleep, because this seems very important to me. Yeah, and I, I got to say, as soon as the 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 I keep
1: trying to call it a saga because it feels like a saga. As soon as the mm-hmm. uh, the Thauter mentioned that they that they spotted a mound, I knew exactly what was going to happen.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I feel like I should have given him a different voice now because he's ten years old. Oh, that's true. <laughs>
1: um. So uh, what you're predicting uh, and what we're both thinking uh, is exactly what happens. So Freystein Fairface watches all night as Thorstein thrashes around in his blanket. And in the morning, Thorstein wakes up, thanks Freystein for his faithful
0: help, and promises to have him freed when they return to the farm. That's obviously good news for Freystein the heartthrob, and there's more good news to come for him later. But for now, the important question is, what exactly did Thorstein see while he slept? Well, for
1: starters, it shouldn't come as a shock that the mound near their encampment is kind of important.
0: Yeah, that's not surprising. I mean, as you said, it's something. It's something that if you've read a few of these, you spot right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, for listeners who aren't familiar with them, these mounds are usually sites of pre-Christian magic and otherworldly power. They're grave sites, or at least they're usually equivalent to graves in their meaning to saga writers. That's right. And this is one of the first moments where we start to get that that idea of
1: the thater as a a pagan contact, perhaps a conversion yeah. thater. Um, the, the whole the whole thing begins, if you remember, with the settlement of Iceland the establishment of pagan laws. Um And it's going to be right. moving towards uh, a conversion. And this is the first mm-hmm. hint that we're going to get of that. Um, Again, very unusual for a Thouter to have this kind of an arc. That's right. And and because of the burial practice of the culture, weapons were sometimes buried with the dead in these mounds. Which means that if you're not frightened by a little thing like undead monsters or the touch of a dead man's hand, the gentle mm-hmm. caress of his uh, bare cheekbone, ah. then you can go spelunking for grave goods. Uh, mm-hmm. I think you will remember that Grettir S. Munderson gained his short sword that way. Now, that's a handy tip for a viking on a budget. Mm-hmm. But what about the dream? Right. Uh, Thorstein has had a vision of the mound opening and a large man dressed in red coming out. Now, he calls uh. himself Brynjar and says he lives in the mound. Come with me now and see my dwelling. And Thorstein agrees and they enter the mound. Yeah, this is the sort of moment that separates the Thotter men from the boys. Yes, and inside the mound, Thorstein sees 11 more men in red, all sitting quietly. And -hmm. on the opposite side of the room are 12 men in black, one of whom is bigger than the others. Yeah, this is being set up almost as a living board game, isn't it? It is, right? Yeah, 12 pieces on a side with a leader piece on each team.
0: If it is meant to evoke a game, I think it's either uh, petia or more likely uh, latruncolorum. Oh yes, which was no yeah. yeah, which was known in some form in medieval Scandinavia. We know that. Yeah, sure. I'm going
1: to take your word uh, for that. Yeah. Uh
0: Latruncolorum is a distant relative of checkers that's been played for over two thousand years. I've never heard of it, but the, <laughs> the tie-in does make sense. I, I'm buying that bit. Um, if you consider that gaming pieces were sometimes buried with their owners. Yeah, exactly. No, there, there were about 200 game pieces found in the burka burials alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not ready to argue this is a life-sized game board in the mound, but there's enough of a parallel to pique my interest. Mm. Yes, I
1: quite like it. Uh, anyway, uh, Brunjar whispers to Thorstein that the biggest man in black is Brunjar's brother, Odd. Now, Odd, mm-hmm. he says, is quite the bully. And every night, Brunjar has to pay coins to Odd to avoid being beaten by the men in black. Now, Odd- it still, sa- still sounds like a board game to me. Well, yeah, and this part is less board game and more folkloric. He says, "Odd has a golden coin, which, if placed under the tongue of a person who cannot speak, it will miraculously grant
0: them speech." Yeah, miraculous is a good word choice here. Uh, this is a motif that shows up in saints' lives and other miracle stories. The, the far less believable miracle is that
1: Thorstein happens to have a mother who cannot speak, and so he's more or less committed to getting <laughs> that coin from Odd. Well, you're not you're not buying this. I gotta say, when I got to this part, I was disappointed because I liked the portrayal of <laughs> just a mute woman living in Iceland, yeah, yeah. and now she becomes a you know a yeah. stock character that that we need to cure suddenly. Right.
0: Um, but that's a that is a stock of uh, miracle stories from the Christian period. That's
1: right. In fact, uh, yeah. yeah, there are a number of stories where a mute person suddenly learns how to speak. Right.
0: That's right. Mm. Um, so finish the dream. This is supposed to be a saga short. Remember. Sure.
1: All right, so Thorstein hangs around for a bit and watches as Brynjar and his men give gifts to Odd. And then he approaches Odd himself. I haven't the valuables, Odd, to satisfy your demand for tribute, for I am poor.
0: Your coming here isn't to my liking, but will you offer such tribute as suits you?
1: See, now that sick voice really comes in handy.
0: That's right. (laughs) I, I have nothing but my axe, if you wish to accept this. Yeah, so I assume it's not going to shock anyone that there's a barely concealed threat in that.
1: Wow, it's just a gift. He's going to give him the axe.
0: Uh Uh-huh. So, Odd reaches out for the axe and... And Thorstein chops his arm off. Here's your axe back. Of course he does. (laughs) Both sides... Everyone but Odd knew
1: that was going to happen. (laughs) Right? Now, both sides (laughs) leap to their feet, and a battle is joined in the confined space inside the mound. But the Mm -hmm. undead men in the mound can't hurt one another. The wounds they inflict heal in seconds. Uh, I think the saga actually describes they chop off a limb and within seconds the limb is back, right. right? Right. But somehow Thorstein's blows cause real damage. And with his help, the men in black are all butchered.
0: Yeah, There's a Will Smith, Tommy Lee Jones joke here somewhere. I know there is. Yeah, I just you, can't find it. I,
1: I think you referenced Men in Black in one of our recent episodes. So I think we hit our... Yeah, so I'm letting it go. Yeah, we hit our quota for the year. Right. Um, besides, there aren't aliens here. They're they're draugr. They're ghost spirits. So I think a mm-hmm. Ghostbusters reference would be
0: uh, more appropriate. Well, I mean, technically, I suppose they're like Haugbui, uh, mound dwellers. Uh, although it makes no difference in this case. Uh, Christiana Vishavan has written about this uh, mound dwellers thing. Um, in this particular Thowter as an example of the selective immunity to weapons that mountain dwellers sometimes have. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: and I'm glad we don't have to come up with a body count for the story. I have no idea whether to count these guys. I mean, are they killed? Are they killed again? Are they undead? Are they even real? <laughs> this is And all, this is a dream vision, right? So... Right. It's not even... <laughs> yeah, I am starting to feel like this Thowter is inceptioning That's us. That's right. You can hear that music starting to play. Uh,
0: spin the top! Spin the top! Spin the top!
1: It's really more one of those, uh, it was all a dream, uh, or was it, scenarios, right? Wink, wink. Thorstein takes his leave of Brynjörn, who praises him and predicts that he will take a new faith. He also gives him gold to take with him. Right, and when Thorstein wakes up,
0: the gold is still there. Spooky!
1: <laughs> now, now, I think one the one thing we just skipped over, the the, the insertion of Brynjörn predicting the rise of Christianity is really interesting.
0: Yeah, what he says is, You will take a new faith, which is much better for those granted it, but more difficult for those not fitted for the new faith. And such am I, for my brother and I are earth dwellers.
1: And yes, he also asks
0: that if Thorstein has a son someday, that he give him Brunjar's name. I think the important part is that new faith part. Mm -hmm. Uh, Brynjar represents a moderate pagan voice. He recognizes the value and, I think, the inevitability of the conversion, but it's not for him, and he accepts that. I mean, of course, he's also an undead creature of some kind. I guess it's a little late for him to convert. A little bit, maybe. So Thorstein,
1: who, remember, is 10 years old when he does all this, uh, now Mm -hmm. returns home, where he gives his mother the gold coin that enables her to speak and convinces his father to give
0: Freistin the beauteous. His freedom. And once Freystein the pulchritudinous is free, (laughs) we learn that he's actually the son of a murdered landowner who was sold into servitude by Vikings. Murdered by Vikings is good. Uh, And so, now that uh, Freystein McDreamy is free, (laughs) Thorstein's newly vocal mother, Aldenigate's daughter, marries him. Mm. And they move to Sandvik, where they become primogenitors of a locally prominent clan. And
1: it's a lovely ending for Aldenigate's daughter and her new husband, Freystein Sweetcheeks.
0: That's right, but uh, we're not done yet, and neither is Thorstein.
1: No, he's still got another parent to reckon with.
0: Part 3. The Sins of the Father. So, some time passes, but Thorstein hasn't forgotten he's got a father somewhere in Norway. No, and now that his mother is taken care of, he's ready to track down dear old dad. Right, so Audney tells him where to find his father, Ivar and gives him an arm ring that Ivar once gave her to prove his claim of being her son. Uh, then can he buys passes
1: can, can I pause you there the uh oh. the fact that he gave her an arm ring, why didn't she yeah. bring that up
0: earlier? <laughs> well, it's again, this is i this is why I read this as a um a proposal which he then rescinds. I think it's quite right, yeah. He seduces her with a promise of marriage. He gives her these gifts and so forth, and then yeah. uh, walks away from her. He's a he's a he's a scoundrel, exactly.
1: And but again, I'll reiterate: when she's talking to her brother, why not give him the
0: arm ring and say, "Hey, present this publicly." Well, remember, she has to she has to carve everything she wants to say. I mean, she's uh, probably she going for economy of words here. Get out of here. She she's quite capable of saying "I don't want to" whenever she right. feels like it. So right. uh, maybe she's just tapping her arm meaningfully, and he doesn't get the hint. <laughs> He's like you want me to steal second? <laughs> <laughs> slide, slide. All right. You were saying though. Uh I was saying. So Odni has told him about the about uh her, his father and given yeah. him his arm ring to identify him. Then uh Thorstein buys passage to Norway on the ship of the skipper Osbjorn Arswear and sets <clears> out, <throat> out to find his father. <clears throat> um, yes.
1: I know we're taking our time with this one and we shouldn't digress, but I don't think you can drop a name like Asbjorn, Asbjorn, <laughs> swear, and then not give us an explanation. Oh, now
0: you want to talk about nicknames. I do. Uh, well, I looked around for it. I was going to save it for the end, as it were, but- okay. The end. I get it. Now, do you actually have an answer,
1: or are you just going to keep cracking jokes?
0: Yeah. Stop interrupting. We're already behind. <laughs> now, swear is our editor's translation of Kasten Rossi. Uh, which literally means something like fling ass or throwing ass. Can I p- stop you there? That sounds like yeah. a great punk band name. Doesn't it? Throwing Kasten ass? Kostan No, oh, Kostan Razi. All right, fair enough. Uh, it's actually not a unique name, amazingly. There's an Osmund Kostan Razi in Greenland in about 1189, for example. Really? Uh, yeah, it gets rendered as arswear or, as Paul Peterson suggests, Hip shaker. I prefer uh, arswear. Well, I'm going to propose the more modern-sounding ass caster. I don't like that. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Sounds
1: like a a
0: perverted fisherman. (laughs) Well, right. Uh, I think the name is meant to suggest an enthusiastic sexual technique, uh, like hip thruster. Uh Uh-huh. But that's just a guess. I was assuming that he's a good dancer. Well, I mean, clearly a good dancer. Uh, Is it? The horizontal mambo is his specialty. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, I also contacted a member of the SEA who has the name Razi no as way. the surname for her character, uh, but I haven't yet heard back. So maybe I'll do a follow-up in a future episode.
1: Please, Thorguna Razi, contact <laughs> John and let her know. Uh, her name is actually uh, Baranka Ingagun Razi. Oh, if anyone knows Baranka Ingagun Razi, please get in touch with her. And have yes. her write to us at sagathingpodcasts at gmail.com and let us know <laughs> what's up with that. That's right. <laughs> all right. Now that you have managed to shoehorn in a nickname explanation, and I'm not uh-huh. going to fault you for it because I think no. we we're all asking for it. Sure. You see that our sway and then you just like, tell me. Absolutely. More. You got. You want to know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. No,
0: but we should return to our story. Sure. Why not? Uh, so Thorstein sails to Norway with Osbjorn, we'll just leave it there, and makes his way to the home of Sturkar of Gimsar. But that is not his father. His father is Ivar the Radiant. It's true. But Thorstein's done his homework, by which I mean he's read the fine print back when Ivar was introduced into the story. Sturkar is a first cousin once removed of Ivar's. Okay. Now, these relationships can get a
1: little tricky, but basically Sturkar's grandfather is Ivar's uncle. So they're a generation off from one another. Yeah, that's right. Which means... Which means that Sturkar
0: is probably about the same age as Thorstein. Exactly. Also, they're second cousins. Uh, And just as Thorstein hopes, they hit it off and become great friends. Excellent. And that winter, Sturkar is invited to Ivar's Yule party, and he brings Thorstein along as a friend. (laughs) Everything's fine until the end of the gathering, when Thorstein confronts Ivar and demands that Ivar recognize him as his son. Why? Who are you, and where do you come from? Thorstein is my name. My mother is Odni Gaita's daughter, in Iceland. Here is an arm ring, which she told me to bring you as a token.
1: You must have a much worse paternity. There are enough slaves out in Iceland that your mother can blame for you. Jeez. And to speak the truth, it seems to me I ought to discourage brats and rascals, lest every whore's son should claim I am his father. You have answered
0: wickedly and dishonestly. I shall come a second time and you will either acknowledge me or it will be the death of you. Mm. So that, that didn't go well. It did not.
1: Although, you know, if I had a nickel for every time I had to say the same thing that uh, Ivar said there, whew, <laughs> I'd be a wealthy man. <laughs> You'd have like seven and a half cents. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually even worse. Uh, I- Ivar orders Sturkar to kill Thorstein. But Stuart, And he calls him a thug, I think, in the book. Yeah, he does. Right? That's the Icelandic thug.
0: He says, go kill that It's thug. the most Norwegian thing I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, Icelandic
1: I, thug. I, I need to make a mental note to go look up what uh, the Icelandic word for thug was. <laughs> um, but he uh, Sturkar refuses, saying, I think he has a stronger case than you, for I think he
0: is a man of great family. Which is a nice dig, of course, because it's their yeah. family. Right, Uh, Right. so they're cousins. It could just be ego talking. But at least it means that Sturkar believes Thorstein's claim. Mm -hmm. In fact, they're so close now that Thorstein ends up spending two years living with Sturkar, although he never sees Ivar again in that time. No, but that that
1: doesn't mean he's bored. He's Mm -hmm. spending a lot of time with Sturkar's sister, Heddis, who's well-known as a beauty and is a good conversationalist as well. Well, Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second.
0: No, the two of them really hit it off. Hang on. Well, what's the problem, you know what the problem is. No. Thorstein and Sturkar are second cousins. So? So that means Herodus is also his second cousin. I mean, this isn't this isn't quite Luke and Leia in the Med Bay, but surely consanguinity is an issue here.
1: Well, I mean, that's only a problem if Ivar actually is Thorstein's
0: father, right? I mean, as of now, he's denying that. Well, I would argue that it's a problem anyway, since Thorstein knows he's her cousin. But okay. ah, uh, so... Uh, whatever. After two years, Thor, <laughs> Thorstein— sorry. Are we yada-yada-ing incest at this point? Yada-yada-yada
1: <laughs> cousin. They're second cousins, though. I mean, they're, it's not that close. <laughs> well, it's an attractive cousin. You have to make allowances. That's right. Plenty of people throughout history have made that same allowance. Fair enough. But after two years, Thorstein returns to Iceland for a while. Yeah, it's for the best. Stay away from your attractive cousins. That's my advice. (laughs) But not for long. After three years, he makes another trip to Norway and returns Mm -hmm. to Sturkar's farm.
0: But there's a new trouble in the land and... Yeah. um, Uh, Two things have been happening, actually. Uh, One is that King Hauken dies and is replaced by the Christian king, Olaf Tryggvason.
1: Ah, it's our old friend Olaf.
0: Yeah, Welcome we've back. talked about him a lot on the podcast. Uh, if you want to get a good sense of his uh, somewhat quirky personality, try listening to Saga Briefs 6 and 7 on the conversion of Iceland. Mm-hmm. But Olaf's ascent isn't the immediate issue here because the other thing that's going on
1: is a... Well, it's a, a troll infestation that needs to be yeah, dealt with. Yeah, yeah.
0: And this is that kind of story. Yeah, it's a, it's been a while since we've had a good troll infestation. Uh, the summer Olaf becomes king and Thorstein returns to Norway, which is, uh, 995 AD, by the way, is also the summer that a clan of troll women take over Hetherskog forest and block all the roads. And this is why you don't leave bridges lying around. I mean, you get yeah. trolls every time. <laughs> I'm ignoring you. Uh. Now, of course, Olaf doesn't want this kind of embarrassment as a new ruler, and so he asks for a volunteer to kick the troll women out of the wood and rescue the roads from what I can only assume are troll booths. <sighs> that that was, that was way worse than mine. In fact, Shh. you should uh, be banned. Anyway, a Trondheim man named Brynjolf volunteers for the job and raises a posse of 60 men to attack the woods and clear out the trolls. 60 men? Yeah. That's a lot of men. Yeah, it's like a brute squad. <laughs> and technically, you are the brute squad. Yeah, all the brute squad. Technically, not, 59 of them are Norwegian companions. Uh, although, <laughs> since we're still in Norway, I don't know whether it counts. Uh, the crowd of warriors enters Hederskog Forest and soon finds a hall. But before they can formulate a plan of attack, a troll woman, a troll man, and four smaller trolls rush out and begin killing Brynjolf's men. The troll man has a sword that sparks as it slices, and the woman, we're told, is as hairy and strong as a gray bear. Why has it got to be a gray bear? That's really specific. I don't know. I think the author means that she's gray and as strong as a bear, but it is ambiguous. When the fight's over, Brynjolf and 55 of his men are dead, and the four survivors have fled back out of the woods. I mean, this could this could give Greenlander Saga a run for the money. If yeah, we're no kidding. BCDM, okay. right? <laughs> Well, that's what happens when you build an assault team entirely out of Norwegian companions. That's we should true. say that 60 is a traditional number for large groups in these stories. So really, just think of it as a lot of men. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even within the logic of the story, it's a terrifying massacre. Word gets out about it all over Norway, and it isn't long before Sturkar and Thorstein hear of it. Right. Uh, Sturkar wants to go
1: check out what's <laughs> happening in Hetherskog, and Thorstein thinks it sounds like fun, so off they go arm in arm skipping right. down the road bringing what 70 men no 50 no 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 no. They, it's just the two of them ah yeah so uh this is a suicide mission well they do bring spears john they're not gonna yeah, make-
0: I, I don't think that's gonna make a difference they got skis too they ski there oh okay they got skis i was worried yeah. for a minute yeah and you remember we
1: watched that movie about the skiing in, in right. Norway? <laughs> <laughs> so they're gonna be fun yeah what is that- what is it called that was called uh, something or other with the guy from Game of Thrones in it. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, it was good. Don't watch Game of Thrones. Couldn't I? Um, And a full day's cross-country... The Last sk- King. The Last King is exactly what it was. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. Carry on. Okay, so a full day's cross-country skiing brings them to a hut near Hedenskog, where they decide to spend the night. Thorstein heads out with his spear and some buckets to get water, while Sturkar works on getting a fire going. Oh, it's a lovely little domestic scene. At first. The always ominous at first. Uh Uh-huh. And sure enough, as Thorstein approaches a nearby lake with his buckets, he sees a pleasant little troll girl coming from the opposite direction, also carrying buckets. She's shorter than him, but enormously wide-shouldered
0: and thick-bodied. Yeah, it's a Hetherskog meat cute (laughs) He's a laid-back Icelander with daddy issues. She's a workaholic troll from a big family who's never learned to relax. John, you really uh, make your own fun, don't you? I try. Tell me you wouldn't watch that movie. (laughs) Uh,
1: Well, I mean, I would, but it's not much of a meeting between these two. Well, When she sees Thorstein, the the troll girl drops her buckets and runs away. Mm -hmm. Thorstein drops his buckets and chases her with his spear at the ready.
0: Yeah, they're about evenly matched, uh, which means they both might as well have kept their buckets. So (laughs) Thorstein can't catch up to her, but he does follow her all the way to a hall in the woods. Presumably a hall with the corpses of 56
1: men lying strewn around the the whole outside, right? No, it's suspiciously needed tidy.
0: But uh, (laughs) the trolls sure look well fed. Oh, that's gross. They (laughs) ate them feet and hands. Didn't didn't you write about Grendel's man-eating and the critical tradition that linked him with
1: apocryphal troll pouches? Yes, I did. Um, Our job is actually a lot of fun
0: sometimes. Uh, Now, this next part, uh, if you're thinking to yourself, gee, I enjoy the sagas, but what I really want is a short saga that sounds like a ripoff of a bad R.A. Salvatore novel. Well, you're in luck. Only this isn't bad.
1: It's quite fun. (laughs) I was thinking it had more in common with a first-person shooter, basically, from this point forward.
0: I don't know if you've read R.A. Salvatore, but there's a lot of overlap there. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, Uh, This is a
1: mission in a a Skyrim. uh,
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, Thorstein throws his spear just as the troll girl slams the door of the hall shut, and his spear goes right through the door. When he kicks the door open, he sees his spear on the ground, but no sign of the troll.
1: Now, we're meant to admire Thorstein's bravery here, because he's rushing into a troll house, but right. uh, it seems like a pretty stupid move to enter this hall by himself with his uh, first-person shooter, remember? Uh, that's right. Uh, and he'll probably find a rail gun and some first-aid kits hidden in crates in the corner so i think he's going to be fine
0: i'm going to assume that meant something uh, thorstein sees a candle burning by I a bed it. closet inside is a troll woman she's wide tall hairy and asleep in a bed this is the uh, gray bear troll woman right yeah uh, thorstein learns later that she's called skaldvor uh she's wearing a silk dress but it looks that like it's been hot. washed in blood very sexy yeah, it's a <laughs> charming lady. Uh, now, presumably the blood is from the, the dress's previous tenant? Yeah, I suppose so. Uh, Skelvor is snoring loudly, and Thorstein moves silently past her to where a sword is hanging on the wall. Hang and on, then he, hang
1: on, hang on, hang on. What? He is about to attack a troll woman uh-huh. using a sword that he finds yeah.
0: on the wall of her <laughs> lair. Yeah, I was hoping you'd bring this up.
1: I, I can't, I mean, as I was reading, I was like, come on now. Uh-huh. Now, for listeners who haven't been in a literature survey for a while, or maybe you didn't go to high school, um, <laughs> this is a clear parallel with Beowulf. It is. Uh, there are a fair number of these, but I, I have to say I, I somehow missed this one before. Yeah. You know, the other thing that struck me, we didn't talk about it before, but in that, that battle with the 56 men, mm-hmm. it talks about the, the real emphasis on the troll women. They're the ones right. running out. Absolutely. And they're the ones that the men are afraid of. Yep. It's the troll women who have led this kind of uh, attack and are blocking the roads. Mm-hmm. It seems, at least in this, Thauter, that the uh, the troll women are much stronger than troll men and much more fearsome. And I, we're about to see that in action.
0: Well, I I could get into a whole thing about my reading of, of the poem Beowulf and why Grendel's mother is also a stronger fighter than her son. Yeah. But we won't get into that here.
1: But I, I think it's interesting because these two, yeah. the, both those texts work together to suggest yes. that the troll woman is a, a more formidable force, right. not just for magic or something like that, but in terms of strength as well, right. I think also, a, a
0: male troll. I think for a male warrior is a disconcerting force as well, right? That they're yeah. sort of confused by having to fight these troll women. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, I like that. But uh, at the risk of seeming anticlimactic, uh, Thorstein pulls the dress off Skaldvor to look for a vulnerable spot, finds a hairless patch under her left arm and stabs the sword in so deeply that it sticks through the bed.
1: Hmm. And now we're doing a Gisli Saga, Drop on a Saga motif. Yep. So you've got to give the author credit. He only steals from the best, doesn't he? Well,
0: I mean, well, but here's where that parallel hits a snag. In those stories, the victim is helpless once he's stabbed, because he's been pinned to the bed. Well, they're not trolls. Right. Skaldvör manages to get up, search the room, and makes it to the door before she collapses from her wound. Mm Mm-hmm. Thorstein barely avoids her in the dark room. It's just an interesting detail. It says as she's coming out of the bed, he jumps over her into the bed right. to hide. And, right, and puts the, the candle out as well. Right. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's clever on his part. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once she's down, he grabs his sword back, or the sword back, which is now his, and returns to exploring the hall. He finds four more trolls in another room. An adult male, a young adult female, and two smaller troll boys.
1: It really there's is a, a first person shooter. I mean, that's exactly what happened.
0: And there's an entire wall of weapons behind them, just to Perfect. carry on with that image.
1: But what, what's interesting is if, when you mm-hmm. read it, what you're seeing is a lovely domestic scene of a yes. troll family having dinner. Right. Trolls can have downtime too, you know.
0: All right, let's uh, wrap this section up, shall we? Well, the short version is that the two troll boys run out to look for their mother, who presumably is Skaldvor, and Thorstein hides and lets them go by. Meanwhile, Thorstein can hear the two bigger trolls talking about
1: him in Sturkar. They were spotted skiing into the area that day, and the trolls are kind of worried about their size.
0: Right, and specifically they're worried about Thorstein. The male troll says, The only man I fear is Thorstein son of
1: Iceland. Okay, so we are obviously into folkloric territory here, so we can't expect realism from this uh-huh. text, but... Are we really meant to believe that this troll in northern Norway has not only heard of Thorstein, the Icelander, but he knows the Icelander's last name, Uh or his matronymic, and he's also afraid of him? Apparently so, yes. All right. Just want to be clear that we're being asked uh, to take a lot on
0: faith here. (laughs) It's true. Uh, Anyway, the female troll soon exits the room as well. And when she does, Thorstein attacks her and cuts off her arm. Wait, wait,
1: wait. You're skipping the
0: part where she trips over her dead mother and then he cuts her arm off. Okay, true, yes, yes. She trips over (laughs) Skaldvor, laying in the floor, uh, and that gives Thorstein the opportunity to cut off her arm. That's right. Uh, It's kind of a horrible detail. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on in the scene. I can't cover everything. Uh, They fight for a few seconds until he's able to finish her
1: off. But as soon as he turns away from her, the male Mm. troll comes barreling out of the room with his sword in hand, slashing away. Now, Thorstein takes a bad wound to the thigh right away, and Uh, I'll... Full disclosure, I thought this is where the bull's leg thing was going to come from. Right. Because he's got a slash in his leg, maybe something happened. It doesn't. It has nothing to do with it. But uh, he's lucky uh, the troll sword gets caught in the floorboards. It's straight out of a movie. He hacks at the troll, cuts off his arm and leg, and then chops away at him until the troll's dead. Then he staggers away from the body. But uh, when he crosses into the main hall, he's suddenly seized from behind And smashed
0: to the ground. Right. Now, see, this is getting a little confusing. Uh, So what's happened is that Skaldvor, the first female troll, the one that the daughter tripped over, wasn't actually dead from being stabbed in the armpit. Mm. She's back on her feet and she catches Thorstein just as he finishes killing her husband, I guess. Right.
1: And this is, for me, this is the Grendel's mother moment. She grabs him from behind and they start wrestling and all seems lost. Yep. Um, Thorstein's stunned. She mm-hmm. bends over him to bite his throat out. And Thorstein's out of tricks. Uh, he He's vowed to die. And right. what he needs, what he needs, John, is, is a miracle.
0: Miracle! No. Uh, fortunately, Thorstein knows how to get just that. I don't he think anybody's going to get that joke. It, it wasn't for anyone else. Sometimes they're <laughs> just for me. <laughs> All
1: right. I mean, I... I um i i only know it because of my mother but
0: oh you're so young um, i'm embarrassed so uh thorstein makes a prayer to the new christian god which comes very much out of nowhere i mean this conversion really is just it's very sudden he promises to convert and go into service with olaf Tryggveson if he escapes the troll it's a lot of stuff to think about while someone's bearing down on you and it, about it to is, bite your throat out. It is. But who among us should be so churlish as to think that he's not thinking about conversion at this moment? There are <laughs> there are no atheists in a foxhole, Andy. No. Uh, now, as he finishes his prayer, a blinding light slices through the doorway and into Skjaldvor's eyes. Now, I think
1: we can fairly say that Skjaldvor <laughs> reacts badly to this light. <laughs>
0: yes. Because she begins
1: vomiting profusely. And this vomit pours straight out of her throat, down onto Thorstein's face. And he's barely able to avoid choking
0: to death on this noxious barf. Yeah, this is a disgusting miracle. (laughs) It Uh, really is. And then the author gets into kind of a weird speculation. People think that some of the foul fluid went into Thorstein's chest. And because of that, he did not always have just a human form afterwards it went into
1: his chest so yes. he swallowed some of the i, I it's understandable yeah i'm not saying
0: that the author is uh, and okay. i know it's it's gross uh, but i'm interested in what we're being told does troll puke cause lycanthropy because if so i have a lot of follow up questions yeah <laughs> and yet the author just moves on with his narrative as if that isn't a totally crazy thing to say yeah, again, if anyone knows of
1: a parallel or precedent for something like this, write to us, please, sagathingpodcast at gmail.com. And yes. give us the subject line, magic troll vomit lycanthropy. <laughs> yeah, please do.
0: We're hoping it'll confuse the targeted advertising software that reads our emails. <laughs> so that's I know what we they'll got... try to sell us at that point. Yeah. Uh, so that that's it. We've got uh, a yeah.
1: troll vomit on Thorstein and he's laying on the ground.
0: Yeah, not exactly. Uh, Thorstein and Skaldwar are both down and both half dead in a giant puddle of vomit. <sighs> he's choking to death. She's blinded and weakened and neither of them
1: can get up. Um, once again, uh, Matt Smith and my other artists out there, <laughs> please, if ever there was a scene that we've mentioned on this podcast, this right. is the one for
0: art. Right. By the way, I just want to give us a little pat on the back for going through that entire scene without uh, mentioning the Spinal Tap drummer who choked to death on somebody else's vomit. I think that, <laughs> that shows is, remarkable restraint on our part. Yeah, we have a, a Men in Black reference earlier, right, but you, right. you
1: you you balk at the Spinal <laughs> Tap. Sad, sad right. state of affairs. Right. Um, I think, though, given the situation, because um, she died on
0: top of him, right? Well, she's not dead yet. Oh, no. He's going to need another miracle. Well, I know if I were Thorstein after that last one, I would never ask for another miracle again. That's right. uh, but fortunately for him, he What's doesn't up need with this a Christian god. This time. <laughs> I know it's a terrible miracle. Uh, fortunately for Thorstein, he's got a friend out there in the cold. All right, uh, Sturkar was mm-hmm.
1: waiting for Thorstein to return. You remember he he had only gone out to get uh, water, right? Yes. Sturkar was waiting for Thorstein to return to the hut, but instead, the two troll boys who left the hall earlier showed up and attacked him. Right. And he's caught without his weapons, but he's able to use his chair to beat them both to death. Well, it's very resourceful. Yeah, which, again, goes (laughs) to show how how much weaker the troll boys are than the troll girls. They're much more formidable, right? Um, He then follows their trail back to the troll hall and arrives there to find Thorstein injured and barely breathing, with Skeldvor collapsed on top of him. Now, it takes a great effort but he's able to get Thorstein out from under the troll Mm -hmm. and then breaks her neck to finish her off. So that's it. Well, for now it is. They set a bonfire and burn the troll's bodies to ash, and then they search the hall but find no valuables, which is very suspicious because you just went through this whole mission.
0: Right. And, of course, there's this question of that first troll, the one Thorstein followed to the hall. Mm -hmm. She isn't among the dead, and when they search the house... They found those, those, that lack of valuables, as if someone had already ransacked it of all its wealth.
1: Yeah, it, in other words, it's very suspicious that a group of trolls yeah. yes. have no valuables lying around. Right. Hmm. Well, that's a problem for another day. So, <laughs> <laughs> right now, Thorstein's been pretty badly beat up. He's half-drowned in regurgitated troll dinner. Oof. And besides, there are some accolades to receive now that he's rescued the countryside from the
0: troll menace. Yeah, and presumably he's going to need a long, hot shower with a stiff brush. More than one uh, shower. Well, and maybe a quick blow to the head in the hopes of forgetting everything (laughs) that's just happened to him. Part four, a bull leg at last.
1: So at this point, Thorstein has set himself up as something of a
0: minor celebrity in Norway. Yeah, I mean, so much so that he and Sturkar attend King Olaf's next feast, where they're allowed to greet the king personally. Ooh. And of course, this is an important meeting for Thorstein, since he made that promise to God back when the troll woman was trying to give him a murder hickey. A murder hickey.
1: (laughs) Something tells you that's not the first time you've used that phrase. It's
0: not not, on the giving or receiving end.
1: I can't say. I was thinking of all the the poor... uh, Never mind. No, no. It's best that I didn't. A gentleman never tells. <laughs> but uh, there's another piece of business that he needs to take care of first. Because one of the king's attendants is Ivar the Radiant, Thorstein's oh. deadbeat dad. Yeah, And when he walks in the hall, he sees his father sitting. He's, he's risen in status because he's sitting only two people away from the yep. king himself. Yep, I, I love this scene. Mm-hmm. Thorstein walks up to his father, draws the sword that he took from the troll hall, which he now calls Skeldvar's booty. <laughs> he draws the sword very and mature po- very mature <laughs> <You're right. laughs> I couldn't help but chuckle at the word booty <laughs> oh my god can I finish can I finish can I finish can I finish he draws
0: the sword holds the point to Ivar's chest and says now choose whether I thrust the point far in or you acknowledge my paternity ah it seems an honor to me to have you as a son. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and also, you have such a, a good mother that I know she wouldn't have said that unless it were true. Mm. I will, of course, acknowledge you.
0: <laughs> it's heartwarming, isn't it? Yeah, it's better than heart piercing, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> I think that's, I, I really think that's what Ivar is worried about. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, I imagine I imagine Thorstein kind of leaning gently on the sword while he listens. Uh-huh. uh So while Ivar and Thorstein are probably never going to have a game of catch in the yard, um, at least Thorstein's finally cleared his and his mother's names. Sure.
1: Uh, Although, speaking of names... Yeah? What? (laughs) At this point in the Thouter, I'm still wondering why is he called Thorstein Bullleg? Yeah. It hasn't come up yet. We're about two pages from the end of the Thouter, people. If you pick it up, this is where you'll be. Two pages. This is the end. Everything's almost wrapped up.
0: Oh, that. Uh, well, from this point on, Thorstein is in service to Olaf Tryggvason, and he rapidly becomes one of the king's favorites. And but his father, too. Sure. Another of Olaf's followers, Harak of Hreina, is jealous of Thorstein's rise. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously,
1: Harek's a Christian convert, like everyone mm-hmm. else in Olaf's retinue, because Olaf gets kind of grumpy if you don't convert. Yes, he does. Um, but there are rumors that he still maintains some
0: pagan practices, which is one reason he's not in the king's good graces. Well, that, and he's kind of a jerk. Uh, mm-hmm. He corners Thorstein one day and tries to get him to speak against the king. But Thorstein simply humbly replies that he is short of the king in every respect, although closer in physical strength than in anything else. Mm-hmm. Harak then sidles up to King Olaf and tells him that Thorstein's been claiming full equality with the king. That's a lie. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but fortunately, Thorstein's been doing his homework. When the king, in front of everyone, confronts him, mm-hmm. Thorstein denies the charge and says, Well, why didn't Harak tell you instead about the sacrificial bull he keeps and worships secretly? Since that would be at least true.
0: You know, that is what the ancient scrolls call a mic drop. Boom. Well, it is an awkward moment for Harek for yeah. sure. And this author is definitely pro-conversion, and specifically pro-Olaf Tryggvason. Oh, he loves Olaf. Uh, yeah, Olaf comes off as very reasonable here. And he considers the situation and merely asks to see Harek's herd and bull. And so the three of them head into the woods until they reach Harek's place. This the, this part struck me as funny, because Harek's yeah. clearly a liar. Why oh, wouldn't yeah. he just say... Yeah. There's no... What? 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 I don't have any cows. I love cows. that Jesus what? fella. <laughs> Father, son, holy ghost, the Me? whole thing. I just keep sheep. Yeah. And I name them all Jesus. So the when they do see the herd, the bull of the herd is huge and evil looking. Mmm. It looks more pagans. or less exactly like what you'd expect an evil demon bull to look like. Yeah. And and that's, of course, symbolic of what the author thinks of pagans. Sure. Right? Sure. Huge evil And, of course, evil, we've seen devilish. evil demon bulls before. It's like Arabidja Saga. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay, but uh, I think this is where Olaf's reasonableness ends. Mm -hmm. He looks at the bull and then asks Thorstein to go and wrestle the bull. And this solves two (laughs) problems at once, which is quite nice, right? (laughs) That's not reasonable? That's not noble? How else do you get rid of an evil evil bull? I I feel like
0: you're just trying to say bull as many times as you can now. Maybe. Uh, (laughs) Thorstein, of (laughs) course, is fine with this whole bull-wrestling idea. And he rushes at it immediately. And the bull actually tries to turn away and escape, which tells you something about Thorstein. But Thorstein grabs it by the hind leg and pulls. The bull digs in so hard that its forelegs sink into the ground to the knee, but Thorstein just pulls the rear leg and thigh completely off. Wow. Another Beowulf parallel, by the way. It's true, yeah. Uh, Anyway, uh, Olaf is mightily impressed by this. He decides, I'm going to give you an addition to your name and call you Thorstein Bull's Leg. And here is an arm ring I will give you for your christening. Should have given him a leg ring. Uh,
1: <laughs> but it is about time. I mean, we went through this whole thing and finally get the right. uh, the resolution. Right. I should add that in the previous section, after mm-hmm. he converts and serves Olaf, the chapter ends with, he served Olaf till the end of his days. Right. And then it switches to, oh, and by the way, there was this uh, right. felon right. in This whole thing feels very much like a coda. Oh, uh, you forgot about Harrick. Olaf okay. has him banished for his pagan backsliding. Oh, right, right. Uh, and presumably Olaf throws a big barbecue that night for his men. Nice. So we're done now, right? Trolls are vanquished, paternity suit settled, pagan bull killed, Nickname yeah, we're not, established. We're not
0: quite done yet. This story doesn't know when to quit. I know. Uh, the problem is that a few quiet years go by, but then there are more sightings of trolls in the woods at Hetherskog. Ooh. And Thorstein's old troll-killing buddy, Sturkar, wants to return to the woods and finish the job they started. Good old Sturkar. Absolutely. They return to the woods, and they spend a night in the same hut they stayed in previously.
1: Right. And in the morning, they find a group of 13 figures, 12 male trolls
0: and one female. And the female looks familiar to Thorstein. Yeah, she should. She's the troll girl Thorstein chased through the woods three years ago. Ah, the one that got away. Well, I mean, that makes it sound a little more romantic than it was, because he was trying to kill you know, her at the time. Hope.
1: I, I entertained the idea that they would fall in love and <laughs> run off and make little babies. Well, they've they already had their meat cute. Yes, they did. Uh, so this troll girl, uh, you might have already figured out, is she uh, She's grown much bigger and is really more of a troll woman now. hmm With a full troll bosom. Oh, dear. <laughs> So, this troll girl, Skelgard, has mm-hmm. grown much bigger and is really more of a troll woman at this point. Ah. And she explains girl, her story in what dun, I think we gave you.
0: will be I, troll woman soon. A villain's monologue. Are you done? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it is a villain's monologue, actually. Uh, Skalgart tells Thorstein Was and a, Sturkar. that uh, a urge overkill? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, she tells Thorstein and Sturkar that while they were killing her family, she hid in a cellar under Skelvor's bed with all the family's possessions and then escaped when they left. Now since then she's married a troll man named Skelking and now she'd like to introduce him and his 11 brothers. <laughs>
1: Well, that explains where the treasures went, right? Right. Um, and the problem with these 11 brothers is they've all sworn to kill Thorstein and Stuartkar. Well, yes, there is that. Now, I think we can ask a serious question about whether we aren't supposed to have a bit of sympathy for Skellgird here.
0: Yeah, I think he so, too. He killed her whole family. Yeah, right? no, I think I mean, that image of her hiding under the bed in terror while Thorstein stabs her mother so hard the sword sticks through the bed frame. I mean, mm. This is exactly what happened to Oren Ishi in Kill Bill. I mean, she was one of the bad guys. Yeah, well, so is Skalgert. But yeah. we can still recognize the trauma of what they've seen.
1: I think so. And The Doctor right. makes a, a very big deal of establishing the domestic scene of these trolls. Absolutely. They're and just hanging still... out at home having dinner. Absolutely. He runs in and kills everybody like That's a right. goddamn
0: lunatic Lancelot. Right. <laughs> uh, and, you know, if we are still looking for Beowulf parallels, a female troll seeking revenge for the death of her family does ring a bell somehow. It does. Okay, but now that she's trying
1: for her revenge, we probably have to accept the narrative isn't going to remain sympathetic to her. No, of course not. So, as the fight begins, Skjalgird leaps at Thorstein immediately, and he has to defend himself from the initial onslaught. And It's the toughest fight he's ever had.
0: Right, and that's saying something coming from a guy who nearly died choking on Trollhork. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, when Skjallgird... you know, Beowulf was really missing that element.
1: He that's right. More that's troll that's the
0: problem with with Beowulf. There isn't enough troll vomit.
1: Yeah. Although I guess you can maybe consider the uh, the fire of the dragon. Uh,
0: there you vomit go. Of sorts, you but yeah, it's, it's, of, it's not as cool. Budget.
1: Now, when when has worn herself down, Thorstein goes on the offensive. Mm-hmm. He chops at her side, catches her above the hip, and cuts her in two at the waist. Oh, that that is definitive. <laughs> Yes, it is. Well, he, he did learn a lesson. Don't just poke a troll with a sword and assume it's dead.
0: Yeah, and that, also, don't just prey on him. Right. Cut him in two. Right. That's good advice. That's that's bumper sticker advice. Yes. Uh, meanwhile, Sturkar is faced off with Skalgard's husband, Skelking, and killed him. Now mm-hmm. the two of them go back to back and kill the rest of the trolls. Now, this is definitely a new record for troll body count for us. I don't is, think that, is that a category now?
1: <laughs> No, but uh, I think Thorstein just created and won
0: it. I mean, I don't see, <laughs> think we're going to see this again. All right, so that's it. The woods at Skog are safe once more. Thorstein and Sturkar share a high five. Freeze frame, roll credits. You know, I'm sure you and I and everyone
1: else wishes that were true, <laughs> but it's not quite. We've got one more loose end to tie up. Oh, 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 right, right. After the troll killing and the high five, Thorstein mm. and Sturkar... Return to Sturkart's farm, where Thorstein renews his attentions to his attractive cousin, Herdes. Oh, dear. It's not long before they're married, and they eventually produce a son. Mm. And they name the kid, wait for it, Brunjar. Mm Mm-hmm. Brunjar, after the barrow-dwelling undead guy in black or red, I don't remember. Red. Red,
0: from Thorstein's dream. I think it's important to just occasionally sit back and marvel at these stories. Uh, we've just reached a point where everything you just said makes sense contextually. <laughs> it does.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is a slightly
0: weird story, even by our usual standards. Well, I mean, that's what the Thadder are for, right? I mean, the author exactly. then tells us that Thorstein remains a loyal friend to King Olaf and eventually dies at his side along the, uh, aboard the Long Serpent in the naval battle of Svalder.
1: Now, that wraps up our discussion of Thorstein's thouter Uxdavoltz. Mm-hmm. But uh, we will be back soon with the results of our second quarter chord, which I'm quite excited That's to right. see how it all pans out. That's right. Uh, in the meantime, we are planning to answer listener questions as part of that episode. So after you voted, drop us a line through our Facebook page, Thing Podcast, or through Twitter, Sagathing Pod, or via email at sagathingpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Let us know what questions we can answer for you, saga minutia, podcasting questions, or why John's beard looks like
0: that. Aww, only my hairdresser knows for sure. <laughs> uh, now, after the results episode, we'll be launching into the third quarter of our read-through of the Icelandic sagas. And we've got a couple of special episodes coming up that I think we'll be able to talk more about then. But until then, we look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye for now. <laughs>